Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Um, tonight we're continuing our series called DNA, and if you remember, we're looking at what is important to us as a church, important to us as a church, what makes us who we are, um, kind of, uh, yeah, what are we about, what do we care about, so we're, we're breaking these things down, because typically we say what, we say, Renaissance Church, we want to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world, and so we're, we're breaking these things down and looking at them and saying, what does that mean, what does that look like? in um, kind of a little bit like in the, the deeper spiritual meaning, but also what's it look like on a very practical day-to-day level for us as a church. So those things are very, very important to us. And if you weren't here, I'll catch you up very, very quickly. In week one, we talked about the gospel and how that is the basis for all that we do. The only reason that we love at all is because Christ first loved us. And so this kind of the gospel kind of encompasses what you know, why we say love Jesus, love each other, love our world. It's based first out of our love, uh, the love that we have received from Christ. Last week, we talked about what we mean when we say love Jesus. Okay, when we say love Jesus, we say that because we believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And, and we believe that because of, really, it starts with our brokenness. It starts with God, God's goodness, but it starts with our brokenness to understand that there is nothing else that can save us except for Jesus. And so practically as a church, we show our love for Jesus when we gather together through studying God's word, through worship, through prayer. These things are practical ways that we show our love for Jesus. And so tonight we'll be digging, digging into what we mean when we say love each other. Now on the surface that's pretty simple, right? Because as followers of Jesus, we should love each other, right? It's pretty straightforward. It's a good quality, right, for Christians to have. Be like, you know, he's a nice guy rather than he's a jerk, right? But... Um, it's not always that way. So in Matthew chapter 22, and we'll get into it. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, Jesus is being questioned by religious leaders. And they ask him, they say, they're trying to trick him. And they say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. Right? So that's kind of the, the love Jesus side of things. You should love God with everything in you. But then he goes on to say this. He says, this is the great and first commandment, verse 39. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if you kind of think in context a little bit, Jesus is talking to these religious leaders who knew the Old Testament. They knew the laws. They knew the things that they had been told to do. And Jesus basically sums all that up by saying, they're trying to trick him and say, okay, what's the most important law? And Jesus says, well, love God with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else ties back to those two things. If we are doing those things, we're keeping the law that God has called us to do. And Jesus, he, I love how he simplifies it there, showing that if we love God and love our neighbor, we are doing what God wants. And this is something that struck me this week as I was preparing. As we look at why we say love each other, we can remember that God's love for us activates our love for him. 
So that's where our worship comes from the fact that God has shown, a, shown us love. So God's love for us activates our love for him. Our love for God activates our love for others. I think it's the natural flow of what God desires. God shows his love to us. We respond to God in love, and we show that love to other people. Simply put, by our love for one another, we will point others to the one who first loved us. You're going to hear me say that multiple times tonight. But that's what I want us to see and grasp together. By our love for one another, we will point others to the one who first loved us. As a church, the way that we love each other is vital to what God has called us to, to our mission. There was a guy uh, named Tertullian of Carthage, a Latin, early Latin writer. And he, he wrote, and this is what he said, he declared that the one thing that converted him to Christianity was not the arguments they gave, because he could find a counterpoint for every argument they would present. Then he wrote this, but they demonstrated something I didn't have. The thing that converted me to Christianity was the way they loved each other. And this was really common in the early church, when you, in church history, when you look back through. When people saw the way that the church loved and cared for each other and for the rest of the community, they were attracted to the gospel. I've heard stories of, um, you know, during the Middle Ages with the, 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 what was the, the Black Plague. And entire villages that were suffering and yet the Christians would stay and care for people and open themselves up to disease and all these things. And people looked and said, it doesn't make sense. But these people are loving each other and it's attracting them to the gospel. And that's my hope for us that the way that we love each other, and yes, we are to love the world. We'll talk about that next week, right? It doesn't, but I think there's an importance to how we interact in this room and when we're around each other, and when, we're in each other when we are in each other's lives. Are we showing the world an uncommon love amongst ourselves because people are attracted to the goodness of God through that? So as we continue through this series, um, tonight my prayer is that God would continue to stir our hearts to know what God is doing in your life, what God is doing in our church, and how God wants to use us to see people in this city come to know him. So tonight, if you're with us and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, my hope is that you will look and see the love that we have for each other, hopefully tonight and continuing on in the future, and that you'll be drawn to Christ because of that. If you remember last week, I answered two questions. Why do we say love Jesus, and what does that look like for us as a church? I have those same two questions we want to answer tonight. Why do we say love each other, and what does that look like for us as a church? So we will jump in and get started. So why do we say love each other? As I said, I think it's pretty straightforward. Okay? Love's a good quality for people who claim to follow Jesus. Um, but like I said, it's not always the case, right? I don't know. I have met other Christians who are jerks. I probably at times have been a jerk, right? So it's not like, we're not perfect, okay? Um, you guys ever type anything into Google, like you're searching for something, and then these autocomplete things pop up, and you're like, who is searching for this stuff, okay? Well, I read this thing um, earlier this week that, that Google autocomplete gives us a weird look into what people are searching for, okay? So they, somebody did this study, a probably informal study, that's a loose term for that, but they found out what, uh, they found about... Christians when people searched Google, okay? So when they typed Christians are, the first thing that came up was annoying. Christians are annoying, okay? When they said, why are Christians dot, 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 so mean, 
right? That was number two. Like it was these things that come up. And then, and then they would say, you know, other, other things. Why is the church against? And it would just be this long list of things that the church is against, right? Too often as the church, we're known more for what we're against than what we stand for. And of course we have standards. We, we believe we want to follow what God's word says, but I would love for us to be known for what we're for rather than just, just simply what we are against. So you have to be careful with Google autocomplete, but it gives us this weird glimpse into like sometimes what the world perceives, what people around us perceive about what Christians are like. Um, and so we have to be honest about the fact that the church has not always represented Jesus well. And you and I have to be honest about the fact that we don't always represent Christ well. That's why I'm thankful for God's grace, because that's not how it should be. And so I think we sometimes, as a church and, and as Christians, we have, we, uh, we have to be wise when we interact with people because sometimes we're starting in a place where people are like, people in their minds are thinking, why are Christians so annoying or why are Christians so mean? And yet we can come by the grace of God and show people a different version of what it means to follow Christ. So um, this is part of why we say love each other. So we know that it's not always how it should be. Why do we say love each other? Well, first of all, we say love each other because first, because God first loved us. We love because of the gospel. Remember, the gospel encompasses everything we are and everything we do. The good news of Jesus compels us to be people of love. We could probably stop here and really just spend some time thinking about this because think about the fact that we are people who are sinful Without Christ, we're separated from God, and yet God came on our behalf. God extended his love to us and saved us and adopted us and rescued us and loved us and all these different um, ways to describe it. And if you can imagine someone who has had like a near-death experience, right, and, and they're like, they have a new outlook on life. Right? This is what should happen in our hearts when we think about the goodness of God to say, I was lost, I was broken. And yet, God saved me. And that stirs our hearts to say, because God has loved me, I want to love other people. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, this is, this is, verse 34 says, a new commandment, Jesus is talking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We have a command here to love Christ, but also Jesus is describing it as a natural result. He says, love each other because I have first loved you. Love people because I have first loved you. So why do we say love each other? First of all, because God first loved us. And if we will think and ponder and meditate on the goodness of God and the grace that he extends toward us, it changes our perception. It changes our outlook where we are willing to love people even when or if we think they're unlovable, right? Because when we really stop and think about it, we were unlovable. But when we grasp God's love in our hearts, we're able to extend love to others. So why do we say that? Because number, number two, because we reflect the love of Christ. As the love of Christ works in our hearts, we reflect it like a mirror to the world around us. Okay, John 13, 35, the next verse, Jesus says, by this, he's talking about love, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
so Jesus is speaking so straightforward and directly here. He says, love because I have first loved you. And when you do that, people will notice it. And people will see God at work in your lives. And this is so vital and important that as a church and as Christians and as people seeking to say, Jesus, who are you? How can I follow you? If we will love each other the way that Christ has loved us, what does Jesus say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus isn't even talking here about us going and loving other people. He's saying, no, if you just love each other, right? Because the reality is none of this really, um, it's, this is all easy if everything's good, right? We're all happy to be here. But what happens when someone is angry at someone? What happens when someone has done something and someone else doesn't forgive them? It's in the midst of that if we humble ourselves as the church and go to someone and say, I've messed up. Will you forgive me? Can we fix this? And when that starts to happen in a church, people look and say, man, that's not normal, right? Because what's normal is to just be mad at someone and hold a grudge against them and all those things. And so we have to kind of think about this is all nice to say when everything's good, but what happens when everything is not good and we as God's people can humble ourselves and love each other and serve each other, that's when people start to notice, man, you guys are different. You don't act the way that everyone else does. As Graham read at the beginning, he read Philippians 2. And Philippians 2, I love how, because um, it says some, some very direct things. You know, uh, Paul's writing, he said, if, you, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he goes on, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Look, not... Look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe, what's he talking about? He's saying your attitude should be the same as Jesus. Because you have Jesus who was in heaven with God, yet willingly gave up his position to come to earth because of his love for us. He humbled himself. That's what the verse of Scripture says. He says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we're seeing the sacrifice of Jesus here. And the example of Jesus, Paul uses the example of Jesus to talk about the way that the believers should act. He says, look at the humility that Jesus has shown us and the love that he has shown us. Because of that, you should love each other. You should be of one mind. You should, not look only, you should not only be concerned about yourself, but you should be concerned about others. And again, we reflect the love of Christ. We love because of what he has done us in us. As I said, by our love for one another, we will point others to the one who first loved us. So number three, why do we say love each other? Because of the gospel community. You may have heard us use this terminology before. But the church is designed to point others to Jesus. It's just part of the nature of the church. So you can talk about churches in kind of two ways, right? You could talk about the church, and we could be referring to just specifically Renaissance. Or you could talk about the church, which is like all believers around the world. The church, okay? Both are designed to point others to Jesus. 
And God has brought us about at this time, in this city, in this place, to point other peoples to Jesus. It's part of our calling as individuals, and yet also as a, a corporate body together, that we are to point people to Jesus. And so, we show our love for Jesus through our love for one another. Local churches, which is what we are, we are a local church, local churches tangibly show the love of Jesus through our mutual love for one another, and also our love for the world around us. Churches are necessary in cities and places where people don't know Jesus, as a place to disciple and discipline, which we'll get into that a little bit more, Christians, and as an embassy of the kingdom of King Jesus, where his word is proclaimed, his people are encouraged to use the gifts he has given them, and where the immigrant, fatherless, downtrodden, and widows are welcomed and loved. Well, think about it. Let's, let's take that apart a little bit. So churches are necessary in cities and places where people don't know Jesus. Okay? We are a necessary thing in this city to point people to Jesus, a place where we can be discipled, because the purpose of us coming together as a church is that each of us can grow in our faith, be walking with Jesus, and be discipled. And it also says where people can be disciplined so that we have a church body, so that when I get out of line or one of you gets out of line or whatever it is, that we can come together and say, hey, I see this thing in your life right now and it's not a good thing. Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. Let's figure out what's going on. And so you don't hear discipline as a way of like, where someone's going to come and just like drop the hammer. It's designed to be a place where we together as a church have a place that is safe as we're growing in our faith to come to each other and say, I see this thing happening in your life and it's not right. And then because of the love of Christ, we humble ourselves, we forgive each other. And the church is what God intends it to be then, the gospel community. And then he says, it says, as an embassy of the kingdom of King Jesus. I love that idea because we have to understand that as believers, we belong to a different kingdom, right? We belong to the kingdom of heaven where this is simply a, an outpost or an embassy of the kingdom of God, where we represent Christ to the world around us, where we encourage each other, we use the gifts that God has given us, and where all people are welcome. So why do we say love Jesus? Because he is the only way. Why do we say love each other? Because Christ loved us. Because we can reflect Christ and because it's the glorious calling of the church. That's why we say that. So yes, it's simple on the surface, but it's a very, very important thing that we as a church love others. So the second question to look at then what does this look like for us as a church on a practical level? We'll go to Acts chapter 2, which was our main passage for this evening. And we're just using this passage to kind of show us what it looks like. Um, and so I'm going to read quickly through this again, um, and it'll, it'll be on the screen as well, um, just so that we're um, caught up. I'm just going to read the first section right now. It's talking about the believers, and if you think back, this is, this is right this is the birth of the church. Right? This is the very beginnings of the church as, as we know it. Okay? Before this, they gathered together. They gathered, you know, the, the Jewish people would gather in synagogues and the temple. And, but, but, but this is the birth of the church. And the crowd, um, Peter, before this, the Holy Spirit had come, as had been promised, and Peter boldly preached the gospel. This is in Acts chapter 2. You can go read through that. In verse 41, we see that it says, those who received the word were baptized, and, those were, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, they're in a city, they're in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God comes, Peter is preaching, and there are 3,000 people that say, 
I want to follow Jesus. And so that now they have this gathering of people. And so then the next verse, in verse 42, what Amanda read, we get a glimpse of what that looked like. What the early church looked like. And it really informs what it should look like, what church should look like for us. We see that this early church has a healthy model to follow. So let's kind of walk through it. Verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Let's talk about these things real quick. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, if you, you just kind of picture they're in homes, they're meeting together, they're being, they're being taught from the, the, the apostles who were the, the disciples who have walked with Jesus. They are teaching them what it means to follow Jesus. They're teaching them this new thing that they have learned. They've heard the gospel proclaimed to them. And they gather and they're teaching. For us, what does that look like as a church? Well, when we gather together here on Sundays, when we are in community group, through mentoring, through discipleship, that we devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word. We devote ourselves to saying, we as a group, because it's important on our own, right? We should, we, the challenge is to, to take time to read scripture, but also as a group that we're devoting ourselves together to what does God's word say? And what does that mean in our lives and how can we obey that? Okay, so the, the, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, and says, um, and the fellowship, okay? Fellowship, what does that mean? It's just this idea of sharing life, being together. For us, it's being together in our homes, everyday life. Verse 46 here says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so fellowship, okay, I kind of come from um, a background where I grew up in church where fellowship simply meant meeting in, like churches had this weird place called the fellowship hall, like you could fellowship there, but maybe not anywhere else, right? And it usually involved casseroles with like cornflakes on top and stuff. Anybody know what I'm talking about, okay? And salads that aren't really salads, because as soon as you start putting mayonnaise in there, it's not really salad anymore, right? Okay, so that, like, this is the, for, for, I think for a lot of people who've had a background in church, um, fellowship was centered around this idea of like, okay, let's have a fellowship, and it's going to be from this time to this time. But it's so much deeper here. It is a sharing of life. It's being together in the good times and the bad times. It's celebrating things together. It's being together as a church and sharing life with each other. It goes on. It says the breaking of bread. Okay, that's pretty simple. They did eat together. So maybe that's where that, you know, the cornflake casserole came from. They're like, hey, they ate together, right? So if you don't know what I'm talking about, come, come to my house sometime. We'll find a recipe. We'll make it. And just experience the cornflake casserole together. Right? Um, so, but it says, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And then it says that also in verse um, 46, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, right? They were spending time together. They were eating together. And when you spend enough time together, it's eventually going to be time to eat, right? And so for us, what does it look like? It means that we share meals together. Different times, celebrations, good times, bad times. We, you know, sometimes it can be planned. Sometimes it's impromptu where we say, hey, come on over, let's eat together where we're sharing life together. And the early church is giving us this, this example and this model of what it looks like to, um, to be together. Breaking of bread, and then again in verse 42, it says, and the prayers. So they prayed together. They were spending time together, devoted to, to the teaching of God's word, fellowship, 
breaking of bread, and praying together. And again, this is pretty straightforward for us. And we as a church have a challenge and an invitation to pray together. I love our times at community group on Wednesday. Typically we talk about the sermon um, from the previous Sunday, and then we spend time praying together. We split up into smaller groups, and it's a great time to say, hey, what's happening in your life? What's good? What's bad? How can we pray for each other? And it's not just something we do because we're supposed to, but we, there's something that happens as we gather as God's people to say, God, we need you. And we're praying for each other. We're praying with each other. Then it goes on um, in, uh, we'll see, um, verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And I love this. And I also... I'm scared of this, right? If we're honest with this, because you get this, we get this picture of these people who were loving each other to the extent that when so-and-so had a need, they all jumped at the chance to say, hey, I've got an old piano, I'll sell it. I mean, you know, tracking with me, right? Hey, we've got, this, we've got this thing over here, we don't need it anymore, let's sell it, let's give it to them. Okay, so you could look at this and be like, man, they have some sort of weird communism happening here. I don't think that's what it was. They were living life together. They were caring for each other. And when somebody had a need, they said, hey, we need to take care of them because they're family, right? They're part of who we are. And so as a church, we can show our love for each other by meeting each other's needs, sharing difficulties and meeting needs. Now, there's two sides to this, right? As a church, we have to be willing to meet needs. The other side is, as a church, we have to be willing to say, hey, I have needs, right? And that's okay. We want to be a place where we can say, man, we're struggling right now. And it might be financial, it might be something else, but to say, hey, could you you help? And the best way that we know this is when we're spending time together, right? It doesn't always come out out of nowhere that we're spending time together and we're saying, somebody's got a need, let's gather around that and meet it. It could be financial, it could be some family issue, it could be a work issue, whatever it is. But we gather around those things and meet needs. It says there was not a needy person among them. And this is challenging. That as the church to say, are we loving each other to the extent that there is no one among us among us who is living in like extreme poverty? Are we meeting each other's needs? I don't know exactly what that looks like. But I think it's a challenge for us to say, may we be aware of the needs within our church. This doesn't exclude us from caring for other needs in the world. That's important too. But I think we really need to be aware as a church of the needs of each other. We flip over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 in verse 32, this kind of reinforces again what Acts chapter 2 said. Because it started off, it said, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And so there, it gives us picture again, and then this gives us an example of Barnabas. This guy, his name was Joseph, but they called him Barnabas because he was so encouraging. That was his nickname. And, and so it gives us this very specific example. It says, there was not a need, this is verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Barnabas, it goes on, he was one of the apostles, apostles, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' 
feet. And so we have practical examples here of people taking things that are very valuable things, right? They, these, they were selling houses and land. And they were saying, I would rather my church family be cared for than me have these things and hold on to them. And again, I don't know the practicalities of all this, right? But I think as a need arises, we can learn as a church to be sensitive enough to say, we need to help this person. And we need to be willing to say, we will do whatever it takes to sell something, to do something, to take care of a need in any way that we can. So in essence, looking at all this and thinking about how the early church was interacting with each other, okay, they were functioning as a family. Right? When someone in my family has a need, I do my best to meet it. Right? We're far from family right now, but if my brother or one of my brothers or parents who ever called and said, hey, we really need this, we would say, okay, we need to try to figure out how to help take care of that. Right? And that should be the same mindset within the church, that we are family. I've heard it said that the church is not like family. It is family. And if you read through Scripture, the Bible is, the Bible is full of family language. Right? If you read what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, over and over and over again, he says, brothers. He uses this term and he's saying, Brothers, sisters in Christ. And it's more than just, again, more than just some nice thing to say. If you back up and look at what he's saying, he's saying, really, if you dig down, we're nothing like each other, but in Christ, we are family. Right? We are brothers in Christ. Through Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God and made into family. So why do we say love each other? Because Christ first loved us. We reflect Christ and it's the glorious calling of the church. And what does it look like for us as a church? Sharing life and meeting needs centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sharing life, good times, bad times, meeting needs, all based on the goodness that God has shown us centered around God's word, centered around encouraging each other, looking out for the interests of each other. God's love activates our love for him. Our love activates our love for... Sorry. God's love for us activates our love for him. And our love for God activates our love for others. And again, I'll say by... By our love for one another, we will point others to the one who first loved us. So think about these questions. Are you connected with other Christians? In many ways you are because you're here tonight. So we, I love it. We are meeting together. Okay? But if you're not connected more than just being here, we invite you to connect with us. Right now, some examples of that. Currently, we have Wednesday night community group, right? In the future, we plan to have more community groups on different nights because I know that one specific time doesn't always work for everyone, okay? But that's a way that you can connect. We meet at 7 p.m. at Ron and Linda's house. Um, you've heard us talk about that. But that is a place where we can look into God's word, pray together, spend time together, eat together, and have a chance to even be around each other enough to know what are the needs? What are the good things? What are the bad things happening? How can we encourage each other? How can we care for each other? 
Okay? Another way that you can be connected is through discipleship. Okay? As a church, we want to help walk alongside you as you grow in your faith. Because the point of all of this, I'm going to talk about this more next week, is Jesus says, go and make disciples. Right? The goal is not really necessarily just starting a church. It's making disciples. And disciples are people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus and who are walking with God. And so we want to help you, if, you've, if that's something in your life that you've never had someone kind of walk through and say, this is what God's word means in this area. This is how you can grow in this area. And those aspects of walking with Christ as a believer, we want to help you. And I know that's kind of a weird dynamic, but come and talk to me. If you're like, I just want to, I want that. I want someone to do that. Walk through scripture with me to disciple. It, it sounds painful. It's not, right? I'm not going to want to disciple someone, right? But it's, it's simply walking together and saying, what is God doing in our lives and how can we know him more? So we want to, to walk alongside you with, them, with that. Another way you can connect is just, through, like I said, through everyday life, through meals, through celebrations, through difficulties, through needs. We invite each of you to be a part of this. Sometimes it's simple things and sometimes it's bigger things, right? Next Sunday is the Super Bowl. Okay? If you're a football fan, even if you're not, next Sunday evening we're going to have a, like, right after church because the Super Bowl starts at like 5 or 5.30 or something. So after church we'll go and just hang out and watch the remainder of it if you'd want. And you guys are welcome to do that. We're going to do it at Ron and Linda's house. They don't live far from here. So we'll have food. We'll hang out together. It's just an example of a way that we can say, hey, let's hang out together, right? Because we want to be showing the love of Christ and liking each other, right? That's good, okay? But we have to be willing to share our lives. And we invite you to share with us. We won't know you otherwise, right? There's two sides of it for each of us. Like, we, we want to be willing to meet needs. We also have to be humble enough to say, I have needs. And that's okay. You don't have to come here like wearing some sort of mask or saying I'm this, but they think I'm this or whatever. We want to be people that come together as God's people, loving each other, caring for each other. Part of loving each other is not holding something against someone else. Are you holding something against someone else? Are you holding on to anger or bitterness with someone? Is there someone that you need to forgive? And these are questions we just have to ask ourselves. It's, it's a, good, a good practice to think through these things. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to encourage or serve? I think sometimes one of the simplest things that we can do is encourage each other. And I think sometimes one of the simplest ways that happens is when we're going through our day and we're like, hey, I wonder how Graham's doing today. Well, that's a good reminder to call him, text him, say, Graham, how's it going? Praying for you. Simple ways to encourage each other that mean a lot. Who around you is in need? Who do you need to serve? Because when it comes down to it, we love each other because Christ has loved us. And even in our brokenness and our sin, God extended his love to us in Jesus to forgive us, to transform us, to make us new, not based on anything that we deserve, so if we've been loved by God, by grace, and not because of what we deserve, this allows us to love people through the grace of Jesus, not because they, we think they deserve it or don't deserve it, but 
We love people because Christ has loved us because that is the grace that God has shown us in Jesus. We know that God loved us and we can call upon him for forgiveness of our sin. We can call upon him to save us, to make us new. The Bible says that literally we are a new, that in Christ we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And when you have a gathering of people, the church, where the old has gone and the new has come, it looks different and it attracts people to the goodness of Jesus in our lives. Let's pray.